Sometimes I feel the need to move on So I pack a bag Move on Move on Well I might take a train Or see the dawn Might take a girl When I move on When I move on Hello and welcome to the Most Accurate Podcast. I'm your host, Alex Gelhar. Today's intro song was Move On by David Bowie, coming off his 1979 album Lodger, an underrated entry into Bowie's discography. If you've never really dove into Bowie's discography before, I highly recommend it. He is a musical genius and needs to be appreciated even more. And not only is that a good song by a great artist, but it felt fitting for the first actual waiver wire episode of the season where we will be... Moving on from plenty of players trying to pick up other guys and better our rosters. Uh, each week throughout the season, I'll be hosting a waiver wire focused podcast at the beginning of the week to arm you with the info you'll need to play the waiver wire appropriately and keep your fantasy team in fighting shape. This week, I'm joined by a spectacular guest who happens to specialize in scouring the waiver wire for undervalued gems. He co-hosts a podcast on just this subject. So without further ado, let me toss it to myself and welcome in our esteemed guest. Joining me for this episode, he's the co-host of the Living the Stream podcast, a prolific blurb writer at Roto World, a Twin Peaks aficionado, a man with hair that would make David Bowie blush, a true <laughs> fantasy Mensa who has never once been owned online, Denny Carter, welcome to the Most Accurate Podcast. That is the nicest uh, intro I've, I've ever had, uh, so thank you for that, Alex, and thanks for having me on the show. Yeah, you know, my problem with your intro was simply that you have too many good bits and things about you to condense down. It was, the intro was getting too long. I had to pare it down to just some of the finest, in, in my opinion, so. That's right, yeah, that, that's the issue with having so many obsessions uh, that leak out on, you know, online that, that you, you don't know which one to pick from. <laughs> you've you've cr- truly crafted a, uh, a diverse brand on, on Twitter, <laughs> One that we should all aspire to. Uh, I mean, I don't, you know, if, if you if you just want trolls in your mentions all day, then then aspire aspire to it all, all you want. It's a, you know your call. Trolls and alt accounts, but uh, let's let's jump into yeah. the news here, Denny. A couple things coming out of week one with fantasy implications we should touch on before we get to waiver wire targets. Uh, probably the top one being that Marlon Mack tore his Achilles, ending his season. Unfortunate mm-hmm. news for that Colts backfield, but good news for those of you who drafted either Jonathan Taylor or Neheim Hines. Uh, so, Denny, how do you see this backfield split shaping up between these two uh, players moving forward? So they combined for an incredible 14 receptions uh, against the Jags. That, that's obviously not going to happen every week because that was an incredibly pass-heavy game and, and game script for the Colts. Uh, but I, I think that you can project it pretty much as a 50-50 touch split, not not necessarily a carry split. I think that Taylor will get probably get more ta- carries going forward. Um, but you know, Hines is not going anywhere. Uh, we all know that Philip Rivers loves his check down running backs and, you know, Hines profiles as just that kind of back. Although Taylor was fantastic, uh, in the, in, in the passing game coming out of that backfield, uh, against Jacksonville. So, um, I, I think that they'll each do a little of both things. I think that the, it, it comes down to who's going to get the goal line carries. And you, you would think Taylor would be the guy, like no doubt. Uh, you know, if you would have asked this question two days ago, uh, you would have been laughed at, you know, laughed out of your house for 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 asking, is Hines going to get the goal line action or is is Taylor? It would be Taylor, but Hines got a lot of snaps near the goal line and he outsnapped Taylor overall. Um, so I th- I think you know I'm I'm bullish on Taylor, 
But I do think we need to keep things in check with him. Yeah, I think both are going to be usable, though, which is the nice thing in fantasy that this committee got cleared up a little bit for our usage. I did see Adam Leviton tweeted out that after Marlon Mack's injury, Taylor kind of out-touched Hines by a little bit and might have out-snapped mm-hmm. him as well. But you're right, Hines is certainly going to be in the mix uh, and especially valuable in PPR formats. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's a he's a thing. Like, if you if you have him rostered and... You know, you have a, a um, you know a lineup where you have to start a few flexes or, or whatever. I think that he he could be really useful. All right, uh, another sad injury news: uh, tight end offseason, you know, hype target Blake Jarwin from the Cowboys tore his ACL, uh, ending his breakout season before it even began. So, Denny, I know on the Living the Stream, you guys talk about a lot of tight ends to pick up and late round guys. Are you <laughs> interested at all in Dalton Schultz, or are you looking elsewhere on the waiver wire? I didn't uh, look too much into how Schultz was used after Jarwin went out. I don't know. I'm not sure if you have his his snap counts or uh, route running, but it, it will be interesting to get into that. And we will obviously talk about that on Living the Stream. I, I think that the main beneficiary of that injury uh, to Jarwin will probably be CeeDee Lamb. Um, and yeah, I think that, you know, Schultz could could have some usefulness but will probably be a very touchdown dependent type of player um whereas i think jarwin was was not going to be quite uh quite that volatile um you know but but hey you know what in in the streaming world and the streaming community um (laughs) we are we are always up for a you know zero percent owned tight end emerging as a, a reliable weekly option yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So uh, the quick stats are that um, with Jarwin's injury happening so early, Schultz actually played a very nice 69 percent mm. of the snaps, 50 out of 72. He did not have much involvement in the passing game, though, just four targets, one catch for 11 yards. But I think you're right with that. That trio of wide receivers they have there, that's probably where more of the targets are going to go. And of course, to Zeke Elliott. So uh, if you need tight end help and you drafted Blake Jarwin late, probably look elsewhere. That's right. And then the last little bit of injury news, which we don't need any analysis for, just to keep you abreast of it, listeners, Duke Johnson missed practice on Monday with an ankle injury. Uh, it's an injury to watch because uh, the Texans have to play the Ravens next week, and if uh, Duke Johnson is out, then David Johnson could potentially see more volume in the passing game. Hey everybody, Alex here. Before Denny and I dive into our, the rest of our Week 1 waiver Wire picks, I wanted to give you a quick post-Monday Night Football update. As you'll hear in this section, we recorded before the Monday Night Football game, so we didn't get a chance to discuss the big news and pickups out of those games. So here I'm going to give you a quick rundown of the other waiver wire players to target uh, coming out of Monday Night Football. The big one is Benny Snell, running back for the Pittsburgh Steelers. James Conner left the game early after uh, six carries for nine yards. Uh, They said he had an ankle injury on the broadcast, the severity of which right now is unknown. But Snell came in and looked really good. He rushed the ball 19 times for 113 yards. Uh, He had one target, which he did not catch. But the big reason to pick up Snell is uh, even if if Connor's injury is severe, then you've got to start a running back. And if not, Snell might have played his way into more time. And with this uh, Steelers offense being rejuvenated with Ben Roethlisberger under center, uh, they scored three touchdowns through the air with him back there. We're going to want pieces of this offense and uh, a starting running back or even a... uh, you know, 1A in a committee will be a valuable fantasy asset. And uh, the second big player to pick up coming out of this game, out of these games, is Corey Davis from the Tennessee Titans, wide receiver. You might remember him a few years ago. He was the number five overall pick in the draft. Well, all offseason we spent hyping A.J. Brown, but it turns out Corey Davis was the one ready to have a breakout year. He caught seven of eight targets for 101 yards in the Titans' win over the Broncos. Brown uh, went five for 39. He still was getting looks they they each had eight targets but 
Davis was the one that did more with his opportunities. So uh, whether or not this is kind of just a one-week blip on the radar or Corey Davis kind of assuming a more valuable and uh, consistent role in this offense, he's somebody that at just 5% roster ship percentage should be grabbed up off of waiver wires this week. The Titans offense uh, didn't look too great. They only put up 16 points against the Broncos, had some struggles at times, but uh, it's week one. They were in the altitude. Maybe this unit rebounds later. So there are your extra Monday night picks to get. Benny Snell Jr. and Corey Davis. Now it's back to Denny and me to take you through the rest of the week one waiver wire pickups. All right, Denny, moving on to waiver wire targets for week two. Uh, we'll start with quarterbacks. I'll run through the list of guys, and then you can uh, let me know which one uh, kind of has your eye here. So we've mm-hmm. got uh, Jimmy Garoppolo uh, for the 49ers, uh, 52% rostered in Yahoo Leagues. Ryan Tannehill for the Tennessee Titans is 45% rostered in Yahoo Leagues. Kirk Cousins, 34% rostered. Uh, and then we got Mitchell Trubisky, 3% rostered. I know he was a living the stream pick last week. Yeah. Gardner, Gardner Minshew, uh, 25% rostered. And then this was just a stash one I put on here. But Tua Tungavailoa for the Dolphins, 9% rostered. Uh, Fitzpatrick didn't look that great. So if you have space, maybe stash him. But of those other more playable guys, uh, which one is catching your eye as a, as a top week two pickup? Uh, yeah, well, by the way, uh, great pronunciation on, ah, on Tua's name. I, I have not been brave enough, you know, to try that. And actually, every time I do a blurb, I uh, just copy and paste. So I, I, I probably need to, to work, work on that. Yeah, I mean, I think Trubisky looks good again. We're going to see exactly how bad the Giants are tonight uh, when they play the Steelers. But uh, the, the Giants secondary was, was pretty terrible last year. Uh, the Bears should be forced into another kind of pass-heavy script. Uh, you know, I don't know if Trubisky's going to have three late touchdowns again in miracle fashion, um, but the game shapes up for him to probably have, you know, a pretty, a pretty decent floor uh, going forward. Can you remind me who the Titans play? Uh, the Titans get the Jacksonville Jaguars, so it's right. a pretty favorable matchup for Tannehill. But like you said, as we're recording this, we haven't seen Monday Night Football yet, so we don't know if that Titans offense is going to be a 40 carry to Derrick Henry attack mm-hmm. again, or if Tannehill and AJ Brown are going to do some more work. Yeah, I mean that's that's always the thing with with Tannehill is uh, if the Titans are in position to seize a lead and you know establish the run, they're going to do that, you know, and and that's what they want to do. And then that means that you're in a you're in a position where if Tannehill doesn't get his early, he's not going to get it late, most likely. Um, so that that's a that's a tough spot to be in. But I'm guessing the Titans will have a pretty solid implied total against Jacksonville, as probably every team will this year. Um, so the process would kind of, you know, scoot you in that in that direction, in that Tannehill direction. Yeah, for sure. Um, there's, there's just a lot of good matchups, actually. From a, for Some of these guys aren't maybe as traditional streamers because they're owned in more leagues, but Jimmy, Jimmy Garoppolo gets to play a Jets defense uh, that just gave up Josh Allen's first career 300-yard passing game, and he had multiple touchdowns against them and missed a wide-open John Brown for yet another touchdown. Uh, and Kirk Cousin gets to play a Colts team that just gave up three touchdowns to Gardner Minshew. And we saw what Kirk Cousins did in garbage time against the Packers, so maybe if that game is a little bit more balanced and a, a bit more of a back-and-forth shootout, he could put up good numbers there as well. For sure, yeah. I do think Cousins is is probably a, a top play. I don't know. Is he streamable? I haven't looked at percentages quite yet. but 34%, so 34. I mean, he's okay. in, in there, out there in quite a few leagues, but uh, okay. not quite yeah. the traditional streamer. Right, right. And Yeah, I mean, you know, Cousins didn't do much until the fourth quarter uh, against the Packers, but... Um, at, in typical Cousins fashion, you know, when when the uh, garbage time hit, it, he was really good. So, uh, you know, 
I don't know if we it's not something to rely on, but but you're right. I think that he he profiles as a really solid play for week two. And then uh, the last one we kind of mentioned there was Minshew. Would you be worried at all for him against this Titans defense, or do you think that uh, the way he kind of showed up against the Colts, who have a decent defense, not the best secondary, kind of gives you hope that he might be more of a a streamer to weekly starter kind of pickup? It's a great question, and you know, congratulations to those who went went with Minshew, who just. It just seemed, you know, process-wise, it was not a good play for Week One. You know, the the, the Jags had the second or the or the lowest um, implied total for the week. I think 19 against the Colts at home. So, you know, that that just didn't seem appealing. Uh, but the Jags are, are going to throw a lot, a lot, and that could kind of buoy his his weekly performance. You know, his his floor. Going forward, and, and then of course you get to see his ceiling sometimes. Um, so yeah, I mean that's a long way of saying that if you have if you have Minshew in a, in a two QB or superflex, I think you keep rolling with him for sure. Yeah, it was a it was a good sign for Minshew. I he saved my life in Scott Fishbowl last year when I picked him up <laughs> off the waiver wires. So it's good to see him uh, kind of pick up where he left off. Um, all right, let's jump over to running backs here. Um, there's some interesting names. No no sort of like locked-in game-breaking pickups here, I don't think. But let me run through the list. You can tell me who catches your eye again. So towards the top, we've got uh, James Robinson for the Jaguars, a uh, 56% roster percentage. Malcolm Brown for the uh, Rams at mm-hmm. 26%. He had a good game on Sunday Night Football. The aforementioned Neheim Hines, 17%. Joshua Kelly, rookie for the Chargers, 11%. Adrian Peterson, I believe he's in the high 40%. Uh, now a lion, if you didn't follow that saga, and he looked pretty well. We've got Peyton Barber for the Washington football team, Jarek McKinnon for the 49ers, and then some lower tier kind of stash guys, which we don't really need to jump into as much. Uh, Jamal Williams for the Packers, Miles Gaskin for the Dolphins, Devontae Booker for the Raiders, Corey Clement for the Eagles, Bryce Love for Washington, and then also uh, Chase Edmonds for the Cardinals. So, Denny, of the, that top tier of the guys, the ones that could actually have maybe some starting potential in Week 2, uh, who jumps out to you as a guy to target on the waivers? Yeah, I did. I did just quickly want to mention the uh, Jamal Williams situation. You know, him being on most wires. I think he needs to be picked up in deeper leagues and stashed. He's not going to be a weekly play, but if you made like a zero RB team, which is you know my preference, then uh, you you need to get him this week uh, so that you know if anything happens to Aaron Jones and he misses time. It's pretty clear that Jamal Williams is next in line and, and not necessarily A.J. Dillon. Yeah, for so sure. I, yeah, I just wanted to throw that out there. No, it's a good point. Um, it's, it's why I have him in the column, sorry not to cut you off, but while we're on Jamal Williams. But he played 40% of the snaps, and Jones played 54. And Williams had 11 touches. So I think there are certainly in bigger, maybe, you know, 14-team leagues, weeks where the Packers are going to be in a shootout. You could theoretically start Williams if he's going to see that type of volume. But uh, you're right. He's got to be one of the higher-value handcuffs because he's clearly number two in that pecking order. Yeah, and and getting to the the upper tier running back waiver ads. I mean, James Robinson was the only running back to see 100% of his team's uh, carries in Week One, so he needs to be rostered in all leagues. Um, you know, I guess he's still not rostered in 44%, uh, but he could be very, I think, very useful going forward. And if the Jags are not throwing like 100 times a game like they did in Week One, he could be even more uh, useful. I think Peterson and Brown both fall into the category of, of just like ugly pickups that no one wants to make, but who could, you know, it's both players who could help you a lot. Um, you know, Peterson was with the team for like 15 minutes and suddenly he's the centerpiece of the offense. So uh, he's going to get the early down 
work, or or at least most of it in Detroit. I I can't believe I'm saying this, but it's true. <laughs> it know? was it was wild to see him get like picked up by the team, and then a week later be actually like gashing the Bears defense for for long runs. Um, it, it's it it just it defies explanation. I, I, I this happens every year with this guy. Know, you know where he just lands on a team. And the team's like, oh, by the way, you're going to take uh, 20 touches uh, this coming week. I mean, anyway, yeah, you, you need you need to he needs to be picked up probably in every league. Uh, and then, you know, Malcolm Brown w- was clearly the guy. I mean, Cam Akers got 15 touches against Dallas, which is fine. But, you know, Brown got the goal line work and those are so, so valuable, you know, su- such valuable touches. Uh, so I would I would prioritize Brown. I would right, I actually I would go Robinson and then Brown and then uh, Adrian Peterson. Um, real quick about Brown. So do you remember back to a decade ago uh, in you know week one 2019 when Malcolm Brown also scored two touchdowns and uh, lit the fantasy world on fire before doing pretty much nothing the rest of the year? I do. Um, I I'm kind of getting you know deja vu with that except that Brown actually looked good last night and he played 60% of the snaps versus just 33% for Cam Akers. So this year, maybe, given that Todd Gurley's not there and they're not attached to his massive contract, it's going to be more of a, a hot hand or you know somebody might emerge from this committee. So I have a little more hope in Brown this year than last year and more hope over Adrian Peterson. But uh, what do you what do you factor into Neheim Hines in that pecking order? You you kind of jumped at the guys that aren't that weren't as targeted as much in the passing game, but especially for those in PPR formats, do you put Hines right in that mix or is he a tier below those guys? Yeah, you know, I, I tend to prioritize guys who have a shot at getting that early down usage, uh, and, and Hines is not that guy. But like we said at the top of the show, uh, you know, he's he's going to be a factor. Uh, and, and in PPR, he could get you uh, a good amount of kind of cheap points. And I know, you know, people who hate PPR hate hate, hate me saying <laughs> that. But, but you know, uh, it's, it's, just the way, it's just the way the game goes. So, uh, you know, Hines... I have trouble putting him over, you know, Robinson for sure. I have also Brown. I guess I'd put him over Adrian Peterson now that I think about it a little bit. But it's it's close. It's close. It 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 really. I mean, it depends. If you're in a standard league, I'm not too interested in in Hines. Right. I'm much more interested in a in a early down guy like like Peterson. Uh, but I, I yeah, I couldn't blame you for for prioritizing Hines there in in PPR. No, for sure. Because if you're in a standard league, you know his big benefit was catching like eight passes last week. That's that's eight points you're not going to get on that roster. And then he not he doesn't rack up a ton of yards. So if he doesn't find the end zone, his, mm-hmm. his value is minimal. Um, but you know you kind of made the 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 joke that Peterson and uh, Brown were the the ugly pickups that nobody wants to make. I think Peyton Barber would actually be the poster child for that right now because he yeah. has both volume and he got goal line carries. But his stat line from Sunday was 17 carries for 29 yards, a 1.7 yard per carry average and two touchdowns. I yeah. Would, I right. think his utility is going to run out very soon as they hopefully turn it over to Antonio Gibson or maybe Bryce Love or, or somebody else a little more dynamic. So G- Gibson saw 11 touches, which was fine. I mean, I, I think that that was sort of right in the wheelhouse we were thinking coming into the season. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if his workload grows a little more every week. I, I don't think that we're going to see Gibson get 20 touches this coming week. Uh, but yeah, when Barber, so I actually, I had to, I had to watch the Eagles Washington game for uh, Roto World and, and blurb that game. And uh, I guess the, I'm, I'm being hazed, uh, but, <laughs> um, you know, but Peyton Barber was effectively just a kneel down, 
you know, like handing it to him was just just like the quarterback kneeling down uh, to to run out the clock near the end of the game. So extremely ineffective. And honestly, uh, Gibson was one, uh, you know, trip over his blocker away from breaking a really long run, maybe even a long touchdown in the first quarter. And we would have been having a completely different conversation about the football team backfield if if that had happened. Yeah, that's that's very true. So I think there's no reason to give up hope on those other guys yet. But if you're in a deeper league and maybe just need a prayer for a touchdown in the flex, you know, Barber might be that be able to do that for you for one or two more weeks. Um, all right, for analysis on the rest of the guys, and there's some good stash candidates, be sure to check out my article on 444.com, the waiver wire watch for week one. Let's jump to wide receivers, though. There's a lot of interesting names on this list, uh, some guys that I think could have some immediate impacts in lineups. Uh, first and foremost, Sammy Watkins, still surprisingly owned in only or rostered in only 49% of leagues. Robbie Anderson for the Panthers, 30% of leagues. Mike Williams for the Chargers, 45%. Preston Williams for the Dolphins. Uh, Devontae Parker popped up with an injury, so Williams at 38% is going to be a good value. Uh, last year's uh, deep sleeper that uh, went nowhere, Marquez Valdez-Scantling for the Packers, 6%. Paris Campbell in Indianapolis for 22%. Scotty Miller, 6% uh, for Tampa Bay. Uh, Tom Brady's new small white slot wide receiver target. Russ, <laughs> Russell Gage in Atlanta with 1%. And then uh, we'll start Alan Lazard, 43% for the Packers. And LaVisca Chenault and Keelan Cole for the Jags, uh, 0% and 12%. There's a few more names on there. You can check out the article for those. But, Denny, that's a long list of guys. Who on there is, is really jumping out at you as somebody you, you're going to be targeting heading into week two? First of all, uh, LaVisca having 0% ownership is disrespectful. I, ca- okay. I couldn't believe it, honestly. I couldn't believe it. Okay, so the, so he's he's the you know nerd du jour uh, pick for, for fantasy Twitter. And, and you know, when I – work for uh, you know, draft day consultants and I'm, I'm helping a client draft a team and we'll come to the part of the draft where I'm like, ah, let me pick up LaVisca Chanel. And they're like, who, you know? Uh, so I guess that's still, that's still the, the, the issue here. I mean, Chanel got good usage and he has like some, something of a rushing floor in the way that Jacksonville will use them. Uh, whatever you think of the, the Jags going forward, they're going to have to score a lot of points and gain a lot of yards because that defense is just an abomination. So, uh, you know, I think I think Chenault should be up there uh, among among the top wide receiver pickups. Now, I I don't know if I can, you know, in good conscience uh, recommend him over Preston Williams or Sammy Watkins. I think that those, you know, th- those two guys will will certainly see more volume. Preston Williams and Devontae Parker had a nightmare matchup in, in week one. It just, it couldn't get worse. Uh, on top of that, uh, uh, Fitzpatrick just, just looks, you know, terrible. Um, so, um, you know, I think, I think I, I would want uh, Preston Williams, Sammy Watkins first, and then I would go all the way down and look at, look at LaVisca. Uh, you so know, even, and- even though LaVisca only had four targets, he did get two rushes for 10 yards. And I think one of those might've come on a, on a wildcat play yeah. where he lined up at quarterback you still want him over some of these other guys that maybe were taking bigger shots downfield or had higher volume in week one, like maybe, Paris Campbell? Maybe not or... Mike Williams. Okay, maybe yeah. not Mike Williams. Gotcha. I, I, will, I will say, Mike, you know, Mike Williams, I wrote about uh, the Chargers offense with, with Terod Taylor at the helm uh, a few weeks ago, and Mike Williams looks a lot more and operates a lot more like receivers that Taylor has had success with, um, in, in especially in Buffalo when he, you know, was throwing to Sammy Watkins when Watkins was a, a top 10 
fantasy wide receiver. I'm not saying Mike Williams is going to be top 10 because he's not going to see that kind of volume that Watkins saw when he was with the Bills. But, uh, you know, that downfield big receiver threat is is what Taylor likes more so than, um, you know, a receiver like Keenan Allen. So I think Mike Williams profiles really well in that offense. Um, unfortunately, I do think it's going to be kind of a slow paced, low scoring Chargers offense, which probably won't be great for anybody honestly in in in, in uh, LA but um but yeah I, I do I I would say Mike Williams would be would be third I would go Preston Williams Sammy Watkins Mike Williams nice well those are some good ones uh and you laid out the case for them I'll lay out the case for a couple of the other guys we mentioned on the list so Robbie Anderson uh only trailed DJ Moore in snaps at wide receiver for the Panthers uh, he tied it for a team-high eight targets, caught six of them for 115 yards and a touchdown. And speaking of teams that are going to have to throw a lot, like the Jaguars, the Panthers' defense is, we'll just call it a work in progress, to be polite right now. And uh, they're going to have to put up a lot of points to keep with teams this year. So volume should be there for Robbie Anderson. Uh, as far as the Packer wide receivers go, Lazard played more snaps. I think he was at about 87%. Uh, he caught all four of his targets for 63 yards and a touchdown. But uh, MVS, on the other hand, he had just six targets and still commanded almost 32% of the team's air yards. By comparison, Adams had 17 targets and 42% of the air yards. So mm-hmm. the type of targets that Scantling is getting are going to be deep downfield and you know high upside ones for fantasy purpose. So, so so he won't need to catch a ton of them to maybe deliver for you in in good matchups, which the Packers have next week when they play the Lions, uh, who were carved up by Mitchell Trubisky earlier this week. Yeah, and I, I do want to say one thing about Scotty Miller. I think Scotty Miller is going to be a fantasy producer, a pretty consistent one in that Tampa offense. You know, like you said, we, we've seen this uh, movie before where, where, where Tom Brady loves him, a, a small slot receiver. And, uh, you know, Miller got the second most targets against New Orleans just behind Chris Godwin. And Miller dropped a, a, a pretty catchable downfield target late in the game. Uh, that that could have boosted his yardage over Godwin's. I know what it could have should have, but still, I mean, you know, I think the opportunity uh, will be there. And I, I think again, if you're in a league where you have a bunch of flex spots to fill out, which is the best kind of league, I think. Right. Um. And and as PPR, uh, I think you know Scott Scotty Miller could could be you know a blessing for for that kind of team because you just plug him in. Um, and he gets a bunch of cheap, like those cheap PPR points that we were talking about. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that the Bucks are, are going to be forced to throw like a lot this year. And I don't know if that's great for Brady, but um, you know, Miller Miller could be one of the beneficiaries of that. Yeah, my only question with Miller moving forward is he got good reviews out of camp, and he looks to be a very solid player, and he fits that type because Brady loves to get the ball out quickly. Uh, especially if his protection is failing him as it did at times on Sunday against the Saints. But Mike Evans also came into that game not at 100%. So I'm wondering if Mike Evans gets back up closer to 100% if then he becomes more of a you know a target uh, vacuum and steals some looks away from Miller. Possibly, uh, but you know we're talking about obviously two guys who occupy different parts of the field. Um, I, I actually think Miller might be worse for Gronk uh, going going forward because of of that, uh, you know, short middle of the field type type of targets, um, but yeah, I mean, it's po- it's possible. Look, Evans was not right yesterday, and and I think everybody could see that. All right, last note on wide receivers before we move on. Uh, Russell Gage for the Falcons. Uh, people were kind of wondering if the the Falcons picking up Hayden Hurst was going to you know add another dim- dimension to the passing game, but 
Hurst didn't factor in that much while Gage was. He tied uh, Julio Jones and Calvin Ridley for 12 targets apiece, and uh, Gage hauled in nine of those for 114 yards. The Falcons' defense does not look like the strongest unit either, so this might be one of those teams that falls into pass-heavy game scripts often, and that could be the case next week when they play the Cowboys. So Gage will certainly be in the conversation as a wide receiver three or flex play um, in bigger leagues. All right, let's jump to tight ends then. I know that's a specialty of yours on Living the Stream. We've got uh, Dallas Goddard. I mean, he's owned and uh, rostered in 55% of leagues, but still plenty of leagues where he's available out there if you can pick him up. Uh, O.J. Howard for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, 17%. Greg Olson for the Seahawks. We've got Chris Herndon for the Jets, 52%. Uh, Logan Thomas for the Washington football team, 1% of leagues. Uh, Jordan Akins for the Texans is only owned in the 1% or 2% of leagues. And uh, C.J. Uzoma, uh, Uzama, I don't know how to pronounce his last name, for the Bengals, rostered in just 1% of leagues. So, Denny, uh, who among the tight ends? Uh, you know, at least Goddard, the case is pretty simple. He's he's yeah. super good. He's going to get high volume on the Eagles. But of the other guys listed, who's jumping out at you as a potential pickup or stream for Week 2? Yeah, so Logan Thomas gets the Cardinals. That he uh, does. This week. And the Cardinals traditionally have been very generous to opposing tight ends, as we all know. Uh, you know, Logan Thomas played way more snaps than any other tight end on the Washington roster, which, you know, pretty much confirms what we've heard for the past month and a half, which is that the the, the team, the coaches really like Thomas. They see him as uh, an integral part of the offense. I think that it's pretty easy to see. I mean, we saw it on Sunday. He, he was the number two uh, option behind Terry McLaurin. Like overall, you know, and and I think that that's that's really good for him, especially when Washington is forced into situations where they can't just take the air out of the ball, as they did against Philadelphia, when it was clear that the Eagles uh, would not be able to produce on offense. Washington just absolutely put the brakes on their on their offense. Um, so Th- Thomas, I think Thomas is great for week two and should be, you know, started in twelve team leagues going forward. I just don't. I don't see a scenario where he just falls off the face of the planet. You know, I think he's going to be, he's going to get good usage there. Uh, OJ Howard is going to be a little bit iffy. I mean, he did see six targets. Um, I think the main takeaway from OJ Howard's week one performance is that Gronk is in trouble. You know, you know, between, between Scotty Miller taking those targets underneath and between Howard, um, you know, look, first of all, looking much more spry than Gronk. And getting that red zone a look from Brady, or a couple of them, actually, uh, I, I think that that's just going to be kind of a nightmare for, for people who rostered a Gronk. But, yeah, I mean, I think Howard should be on in probably or rostered in, um, in tight end premium leagues for sure. I'm not sure about standard leagues. Yeah, I'm a little worried about his volume, especially since Gronk will still get some from his old buddy Brady. Uh, Howard doubled up Gronk in targets, 6-3, to three, as you mentioned. So if one there was one tight end there who was getting nine targets, would feel a lot better about it. Like, as you were saying with Logan Thomas, he had a team-high eight targets. So I have a I have a league where I lost Blake Jarwin to his torn ACL, so I haven't looked at the waiver wire yet for that league. But Thomas is one of the top guys I'm thinking about picking up because of his matchup and then potentially his ability to start, uh, you know, continuing in my lineup moving forward. Yeah, uh, and I will say – I'm sorry to interrupt no, you. No, go Alex, ahead. But I will say on Chris Herndon, uh, you know, what, it wasn't great week one. It, it, first of all, it was a horrible matchup, you know, starting tight ends – against Buffalo is is rarely great. Um, but Chris Herndon played 40 of 56 snaps in week one. Uh, he was in the slot or out wide on nine of those. 
And, you know, he saw a 20% target share, which is, is good. It's good. It, it, all of the, the peripheral stats point to Chris Herndon, uh, you know, being startable in, in 12 and 14 team leagues going forward. It didn't work out in week one, but the usage there is there. And I think the opportunity will come. Yeah, the Jets have a tough matchup next week uh, when the 49ers come to town, but uh, Herndon's the volume is there for Herndon, so the process uh, points to him being a decent player to start. Uh, Aikens didn't get a ton of runs. He played, he played a lot of time. Maybe that changes forward with the And then uh, guys like uh, Greg Olson and C.G. Uzama played a fair amount of snaps and saw some looks. Greg Olson well, I might so, take a train. Uh, that We'll see the dawn. Might take a girl. Yeah, that that's interesting. I I didn't when think I move on. of how you know let Russ Cook affect Greg Olson at at <laughs> uh, at 103 years old. Uh, but I guess you're right. I I think that maybe I I could speak for myself. Uh, I may have overlooked that that aspect of letting Russ Cook. Yeah, I am with you there in overlooking that. But if 2020 has taught us anything, it's that uh, we can't, you know, expect the unexpected, at least. Yeah. So Greg, Greg Olson having, you know, a top 10 fantasy season catching passes from Russell Wilson, I guess, lock it up because that's going to happen since 2020. Uh, yeah, you're right. But, all right, Denny. Well, this was great. We managed to speed through this. Hopefully everybody got the information they need. And if you need more, again, check out the article, Waiver Wire Watch Week 2 Targets on 444.com. But Denny, why don't you tell everybody where they can find you, what you're working on, you know, pimp all of your many projects and things like that to the listeners sure. of the Most Accurate Podcast. Yeah, uh, it's at Carter 13 on Twitter. Uh, you know, we're, we're still getting some requests for draft day consultants. Uh, to help with weekly waiver wire moves uh, and other transactions, trades, start sits. You know, we can connect you with an experienced fantasy analyst uh, who can work with you throughout the season in our season-long package. So if you'd like to check that out, it's uh, draftdayconsultants.com. Very nice. It's a it's an excellent service. I know I've, I've helped some people out before, and I think this year I – uh, unanimously drafted better teams for the people I was assisting than my own after the results in week one. But that's uh, that's how it goes. All right. Well, everybody, thank you so much for listening. Uh, and tune in at the end of the week for John Paulson and Anthony Stellar doing the uh, matchups episode. Uh, this has once again been the most accurate podcast. Like, review, subscribe, all those wonderful things on your podcast app. And we'll see you next week.